Nobody asked you, Kevin! Welcome to August, and welcome back to another episode of Nobody Asked You Kevin. My name is Kevin. Let's hope I can get back on track with this podcast because it's been a freaking while. That's for sure. Uh, The last episode was in March, and then April, May, June, July went by, and no Nobody Asked You Kevin episodes. And now it's August, and we're back. So that's all I can say is we're back. And I think I can I can consider myself back from hiatus. So, first and foremost, people, how the heck are you? How's it going out there? This is almost like old friends catching up or something here. At least that's how it feels to me, just getting right back into the saddle. But if you know me, then you know how I love a good dad joke. So I'm going to start something new on this show I'm going to start opening the show with a terrible dad joke. So here we go. Dad joke of the day. Dad joke of the day. Dad joke of the day. How is life like toilet paper? Well, you're either on a roll or you're taking shit from somebody. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, uh, there will be more of those terrible jokes one of these days. But now that we got that out of the way, let's go first things first. Again, how the heck are you? How are you doing? I hope you had a fantastic Easter. Remember, we have not talked forever. Hope you had a fantastic Easter. Hope your April was awesome. Hope your May was spectacular. I hope everyone is staying as healthy as possible in June, July, and continues to do that in August and the remaining parts of the year, because there's only a small amount of the summer left. And as a scientist, I'm going to jump on my soapbox just for a second. Just allow me to do this for a second. If you can get vaccinated, please do it. Take the the first vaccination that you can. Jump on it immediately. Doesn't matter the formulation. Doesn't matter if it's Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson. Get your shot, please get your shot. Again, I hope you're healthy. I hope you're safe. Let's do all our part. Get this crap over with as soon as possible. Because I mean, obviously COVID isn't over and the Delta variant is spiking, but get your shots, please. And I don't know about you, but I so far this summer have been outside a lot in that hot, hot sun. I'm looking forward to the upcoming Indiana State Fair. I'm looking forward to football season. And I'm looking forward to going outside and continuing gardening and going on all of these fun things and doing fun things. And we can't do that if we don't get this COVID pandemic over with. So please do your part. Please get your vaccine. Please wear your masks. Enjoy that sun out there because... For too much longer, fall will start to creep up on us before you know it. Okay, let's jump off that soapbox and let's move on to something else. Okay, folks, we need to talk about something really quick. And no, it's not COVID-19, it's not pandemic stuff. This is pearl clutching in music. 
this is stuff that I hate. So I guess I have not talked to you for a while. So we're going to be reviewing some older things on this episode. Um, this was mid 2020 when this originally came out, when it kind of got my attention again. Uh, August 2020, I think, uh, when Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion released WAP. Yes, WAP, wet ass pussy. Come on, a song about pussy. And of course, there was a big rup- uproar about the song and its lyrics, its imagery in the music video, because yes, music videos still exist, but it's definitely a song that has adult lyrics. I mean, it is sold with a parental advisory sticker on it. So you remember those things on CDs and albums. So I kind of rolled my eyes at that reaction because that's just, just dumb. And I still roll my eyes at it. I always do. But in late March, 2021, Lil Nas X released Montero, Call Me By Your Name, and a music video to go with it. And the video is full of some very, very interesting imagery involving Lil Nas X twerking and grinding on the devil. Well, cue the uproar about that. As I said before, pearl clutching. And now, just uh, about a week ago or so, Lil Nas X has released a new song with Jack Harlow named Industry Baby. And I believe people have been hating on that video too because a lot of the imagery and dancing and and subject matter. Again, all that damn pearl clutching. Let's take a step back here for a moment. Let's take a journey back and examine past classic music because this isn't anything new. Have you ever listened to Little Richard's Good Golly Miss Molly? I don't hear many folks talking about the Rolling Stones' Brown Sugar. Ted Nugent was making the pussy purr back in 1977 when he sang about cat scratch fever. He was also singing about Wayne Dang Sweet Poontang, a.k.a. Pussy. What about Jailbait by Ted Nugent, a song that is essentially about rape? I mean, if you're under the age of consent, a.k.a. Jailbait, you can't give consent. So, again, looking back at music from the 70s, ZZ Top's bass player just died the other day, just passed away. ZZ Top sang about pearl necklaces in 1981. And if I need to clarify what a pearl necklace is to you, you probably should go listen to that song again. Aerosmith was living it up while going down in in an elevator and loving an elevator. Ever listen to the lyrics of Walk This Away? What about Kiss? Lick It Up. Love Gun. Let's put the X in sex. Christine 16. Prince, man, rest in peace, Prince. But he had songs like Get Off, Raspberry Beret, Not About a Red Colored Hat, Cream, and Darling Nikki. Move forward. What about Salt and Peppa's Push It? Listen to those lyrics again. Let's go something more recent. Harry Styles and his song Watermelon Sugar. It ain't about the fruit, and it ain't about the sugar. Go look it up, please. You ever listen to ACDC? I'm sure you have. It's kind of hard to miss them. They're played on about every classic rock station in this damn country. They're played at every football and basketball game that has ever been played. Ever listen to their lyrics? I mean, have you ever really listened to their lyrics? Songs like Whole Lot of Rosie, Girls Got Rhythm, You Shook Me All Night Long, Big Balls, Thunderstruck, The Jack, Heat Seeker, Giving the Dog a Bone, Touch Too Much, Beating Around the Bush, Livewire. 
all of those songs. I could go on and on and on and on here, but I won't. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, my friends. Always has been, always will be. So stop clutching your goddamn pearls and freaking out about the newest dirty songs and music. It makes you look silly and could possibly deprive you of some really good music if you just listen to it. So check yourself. Okay, friends, gather round. I've got something to tell you that I'm so happy about. Live music is back. And again, the pandemic isn't over, but live music has come back, or at least it has come back for right now. I went to my first live music show in over a year a few months ago. The last show I actually saw pre-COVID was Alter Bridge in February of 2020. And for the first show back, I couldn't have been happier as I got to see friends of the show Volk perform live here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Chris and Elliot are tremendous people. They're kick-ass musicians. They put on a kick-ass show. And they are currently on tour. They've got dates all over the Midwest and parts of the country. Um, If they are in your area, go see them. But here's a clip of Volk performing live from the show I went to. It's a newer song from them called Atlanta Dog. Give this clip a listen. And if you can, go find their music. I've got to get these two back on the show sometime to talk about touring and their album, which they released, Cashville. So that's rad, right? Freaking awesome. Again, go check out Volk if you can. Um, I cannot wait. I'm sitting out, actually sitting out most of the summer concerts. Um, I, I'm planning on going to several rock and metal shows into the fall. Um, so far, um, I'm, I'll be seeing Avatar and Knocked Loose, Alien Weaponry, Gojira, The Who, Lamb of God, Megadeth Trivium, Hatebreed, Coheed and Cambria, Architects, Attila, Obituary, and Black Label Society. So I've got several concerts lined up for the fall, but again, that's in September, October, November. Um, I'm sitting out most of the summer uh, concerts. But again, live music is back, and I'm so freaking happy about it. So now it's time to talk about what I've been watching lately. All right, what have I been watching lately? A lot. 
that's what I've been watching. Um, I'm only going to cover a few. I'm going to cover a couple of old things, and then I'm going to cover a couple of newer things that I've seen since I've been hi on hiatus, and it's been quite a while since we actually had an episode. So I'm going to talk about old stuff, going to talk about a little bit about new stuff, and then probably the next couple episodes are going to be the same way. Old stuff and new stuff mixed. So first, Invincible on Amazon Prime Video. I finished the entire season not too long ago, and whoa boy, this series was fucking spectacular. And in case you don't know what Inv Invincible is, it's an eight-episode first season based on the Invincible superhero comic by Robert Kirkman, distributed by Image Comics. Uh, the name Robert Kirkman should be familiar to you in some way if you are in pop culture or pay attention to pop culture. He created, co-created The Walking Dead. He also created Oblivion Song. He's written for Ultimate X-Men, Ant-Man, and Marvel Zombies. So he knows what he's doing when it comes to these stories. The premise of Invincible is, Mark Grayson is a normal teenager, except for the fact that his father Nolan is the most powerful superhero on the planet. Shortly after his 17th birthday, Mark begins to develop powers of his own, and is then he begins training under his father's watch. So the, the voice cast for this, because it is animated, it's a pretty nice, rounded out, stellar voice cast. Uh, Steve Yun as Mark Grayson, or Invincible. Sandra Oh as Debbie Grayson. J.K. Simmons as Nolan Grayson, or Omni-Man. Zachary Quinto as Robot. Jillian Jacobs as Adam Eve. Jason Mansukas as Rex Splode. Malice Joe as Duplicate. Greg Griffin as Shrinking Ray. And Carrie Payton as Black Samson. There are other people in the voice cast. I don't want to spoil anything, though. I don't want to spoil it, because there are some big hitters that show up. The season currently has, I believe, around a 90... 798 certified fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 91, 92-ish percent audience score. So if you have not jumped on this series yet, take my advice. Do it. Do it now. Immediately do it. Don't think about it. And this is not one to watch with your kids. It's a mature rated series. It's adult. It contains ultra-animated violence, swearing out the ass, but it really is that good. I give season one the highest rating at Nobody Asked You, Kevin. I give it the shit. It is so, so good. I cannot rave about this enough. And now, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't know anything about the comic before watching this series. And now I kind of want to go buy the comics and read the source material. And I can't, I seriously can't wait until season two is released. And yeah, that's right. By the way, they have greenlit seasons two and three already. So again, Invincible gets the shit rating from me. It is on Amazon Prime Video and go check it out. Second, I've been watching Head of the Class on HBO Max. So this is a little a departure from Invincible. And if you aren't familiar with this show, it's an old sitcom that ran from 86 to 91 on ABC. Uh, basically, the series follows a group of gifted high school students in this honors program. 
at a fictional school called Millard Fillmore High School in Manhattan, New York. Uh, the series stars Howard Hessman as history teacher Charlie Moore, and you probably remember Hessman from a show called WKRP in Cincinnati, where he played radio DJ Dr. Johnny Fever. I'm actually in season three of the show now, and there are five total seasons. And I'm looking forward to continuing my rewatch of Head of the Class to keep up with the exploits of characters like Arvid and Darlene, Simone, Alan, Eric, Dennis, and Janice. I'll keep you updated on my progress, but seasons one and seasons two get ratings of the shit. I absolutely love this. It it there's a lot of political stuff in it. There's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot. It's a it's a, a gifted class in high school. So there's there's a lot of different. Um, storylines that occur and some of them hold up some of them don't hold up now to in this day and age but it's a very great show and if you had never seen it i highly recommend you check that out on hbo max third godzilla versus kong it was released a while ago um, in theaters and on the hbo max streaming service and again this is one of those that i saw right when it came out but I wasn't doing any episodes then, so we're going to talk about it for just a brief moment right now. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is the fourth film in Legendary's MonsterVerse. The first being 2014's Godzilla, 2017's Kong Skull Island, and 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters. This movie was directed by Adam Wingard, whose previous work includes The Guest, Your Next, which is, I love that movie, and Blair Witch, the remake from 2016. He also did a version of Death Note. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is 113 minutes long, so very manageable in, in length. It's rated PG-13, so all your kids can see it. And it had a pretty large budget of $155 to $200 million. The cast, Alexander Skarsgård is Dr. Lind. Millie Bobby Brown is Madison Russell. Rebecca Hall is Dr. Andrews. Brian Tyree Henry as Bernie, Shun Oguri as Ren Serizawa, Aiza Gonzalez as Maya Simmons, Julian Dennison as Josh Valentine, Lance Reddick as Gillerman, Ch Kyle Chandler, Dr. Russell, Domain Bashir as Walter Simmons, and Kaylee Hoddle as Gia. So in this movie, Kong clashes with Godzilla, and humans kind of lure kong into the hollow earth region to retrieve an energy source to try to stop godzilla's rampage on the world because godzilla keeps attacking various areas so they're going to use kong to try to stop godzilla so currently the movie and this is currently this is months later down the line um, holds a rotten tomatoes critics rating of fresh with 75 percent so that's good Audience score is 91%, so it's being very rated very highly still by critics and audiences alike. And like I said, I'm not going to spoil a lot of this. I'm not into huge spoiler reviews. I'm not going to break down the movie. I'm just going to talk about it for a couple minutes. But I want to tell you that I really enjoyed the hell out of this movie. It was a lot of fun. Giant monsters fighting each other. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? I mean, the last film, King of the Monsters, was a good film, but the... The one downfall of that one was the human aspect. That human aspect of that film bothered me. This film, though, Godzilla vs. Kong, the humans were minimal in this. And we got a lot of monster action. 
And in, as a movie like this actually needs to have, it needs to have a lot of monster action. Kong and Godzilla fighting in the ocean. Kong and Godzilla fighting in Hong Kong. The physics in the movie is beyond fucked up. I mean, don't get me started on the absurdity of Hollow Earth and all that stuff. But this is a movie about giant monsters fucking each other up. And if you want to get technical about it, monsters this size cannot exist due to biology and physics. If you go look up the surface area to volume rules. Uh, but don't go looking for a science-based film here. This is science fiction. This is giant monsters fighting each other. Giant monsters fighting each other. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to continue on the tradition here. I give this one a Nobody Asked You Kevin rating of the shit. I had a lot of fun with this movie. And I've seen it since opening night, way back when. I've seen it a handful of times since then. And it's still as fun now as it was then in the theaters. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot more than the last Kong. And or the last Godzilla, and um, I highly recommend you watch this if you haven't. I'm guessing, since it's older, you probably have already watched it. Um, I left the theater wanting more monster fights. So again, watch this if you haven't. You won't be disappointed. That's a guarantee from me. Oh, yeah! Okay, so we talked about a few old things. Let's talk about a couple of new movies which I just saw. Again, I don't want to spoil a lot of this because these are brand new movies. These just came out a day or two ago. So let's talk about the first movie that just recently was released a couple of days ago, The Green Knight. The Green Knight is an epic medieval fantasy film based on the 14th, 14th century poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It was released in U.S. theaters on July 30th, so just a couple of days ago, by A24. The film is directed by David Lowry, who, if you look at what his past work has done, he hasn't done a lot, but what he's done has been really good. He, he previously directed 2017's film A Ghost Story, which is fantastic. I love that film. So if you have not seen A Ghost Story from 2017 by David Lowry, you should go watch that. You can find it streaming. And he and David Lowry is actually set to do next year's live adaptation of Disney's Peter Pan and Wendy. So it is, he's got some good stuff coming up. Again, he hasn't done much, but he's got some good stuff in his backlog and coming up soon with Peter Pan and Wendy. So the Green Knight stars Deb Patel as Sir Gawain and Alicia Vikander in dual roles. She plays Essel and she plays the Lady. Joel Edgerton is the Lord, Sarita Chaudhuri is Mother, Sean Harris is the King, Ralph Innocent is the Green Knight, and Kate Dickey is the Queen, and Aaron Kellyman is Winifred. And you might recognize Aaron Kellyman from another recent show. She was Carly Morgenthau in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the Marvel uh, series that's on um, uh, Disney+. So The Green Knight currently holds a certified fresh critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes of 89%. Um, the audience score is 52%, and I'm there's reasons for this. Um, but let's get into this. And I, I'm just going to say, wow, right now, this is one of the year's best movies, in my opinion. And <laughs> if you watch the movie, you'll know why I say this. But to me, this is a Christmas mindfuck classic. This becomes a Christmas classic. 
Watch it. You'll find out why. So Dev Patel in his role as the knight, as Sir Gawain, Gawain, however you want to pronounce it, is perfectly cast. He is great in that role. Now, what I think where the audience score goes down to 52% from the critics, that's high, you got a high critics rating, a low audience rating. I think a lot of what happens, this is a weird movie. Um, and if you're not familiar with the story or legend of the Green Knight, Sir Gawain and, and the Green Knight, uh, there, it, you can get really, really lost in the imagery and the events of this story. Because this movie is kind of like a fever dream sometimes. It's You could easily hallucinogenic some of the things that are going on in this movie. Um, so it does help if you are at least familiar with the story or the legend, the poem. Uh, there are things that are, of course, changed between the poem and the film. There's characters that are changed, events, narrative. And even the ending of the film is changed from the ending of the poem and some of the adaptations that have occurred before. So Gawain is a knight of King Arthur's Round Table, and he accepts a challenge from the Green Knight. This is this is kind of in the the trailer, so I'm not really spoiling anything. The Green Knight basically challenges him, and he basically says um, he dares any knight to come forward and strike him with his axe, and in return he will take a return strike in a year and a day. So Gawain accepts. He beheads him. And then the Green Knight stands up, picks his head up, and reminds him that he has a year and a day, and he then he shall keep his bargain. And, I mean, ultimately, if you know the story, this is a test of loyalty and chivalry. This is a test of character. Gawain in the films is without purpose and direction. He has no purpose, he's, he has no direction. The Green Knight kind of forces him into a position of having to prove himself and finally reveal the knightly virtues inside of him. And again, I mean, it, it does help to know some of these knightly virtues and some of the story behind this before you get in the movie. There's a line in the film that Gawain states, he's asked by the Lord what he hopes to gain from this quest, and Gawain responds with honor. That is why a knight does what he does. Gawain doesn't fully understand what he's saying at the time, I think, but it's not just honor. There are other knightly virtues. Chastity, courage, courtesy, fortitude, humility. And in this entire movie, he takes a journey to get to the Green Knight after a year. But he's actually being tested on all of this along the way. He doesn't really realize it. He almost fails everything as well, either incidentally or on purpose. Um, mild spoilers, I mean, he's, he's robbed and tied up. Uh, he almost gives up. A knight wouldn't give up. Winifred asks him for help, and he immediately asks, what's in it for him? A knight wouldn't do that. The Lord's wife attempts to seduce him. He doesn't say no, and he actually lets something happen. I'm not going to get into that. He barely passes that test, but he shows flaws. A knight wouldn't do that. And when you get to the, the end, the final test with the green knight, if you, <laughs> I really don't want to spoil it, um, but it comes down to 
is he cheating the game or is he facing the game head on with honor? Is he facing his death bravely or is he cheating the game? If he's cheating, that removes the risk of the game and undermines the entire test of character. So does he pass? Does he fail the test? The story says one thing. The film leaves it open. The film completely leaves it open for your uh, interpretation. But it does it really well, I think. If you want to know more, I can tell you about... I don't want to spoil it all, but I can tell you what happens in the poem and in the movie. But I just don't want to spoil it for you. The film itself, getting back to the film, it's pretty immersive. And it's very different from anything else out there right now in theaters. It's told to in, in a very similar manner to how the poem is told. But here we have the visuals. Um, the cinematography is spectacular in this film. The production design is excellent. Um, it's weird and it's mesmerizing. I, I love that word mesmerizing because it just leaves you kind of like in a trance here. It's a beautiful film. The sound design is really good too. But where I think also, the, I mean, there's confusing events in the movie, but where I think people went wrong here is they think, people think, we'll probably go into this thinking it's an action film. It is not an action film. It, Knights of the Round Table, Excalibur, King Arthur, you think are action movies. This is not an action film. It's a slow burn of a movie with some very weird visuals and events along the way. And I think this movie really deserves to be seen on a big screen, the bigger the screen, the possible. And there, I think there's something about watching this on the small screen that would take away a lot of its charm. And like I said, the ending is ambiguous for a reason. Does he die by the hand of the green knight or does the green knight allow him to live? I'm not spoiling anything there. Because I'm not telling you what happens. But if you know the story, then you know what the ending should be. And you know what should happen. But the director, David Lowry, has gone on record and said he left a bit of wiggle room in the ending to keep it open. So again, I give The Green Knight, um, I, I say it's one of, it, it's the best movie I've seen this year. So it gets a Nobody Asked You Kevin rating of the shit. I truly enjoyed this movie, and make mo no mistake, it is a weird film, and it's confusing as fuck, and it really helps to know a bit about the virtues of a knight, or the original poem a bit before watching, um, but this, make no mistake, again, this is one of the year's best movies so far, because we're only into August now, we still got a few months left of the, of the year for an, per, other great movies to come out. And the last movie I'll talk about today is also a new one. Saw this, been waiting for this one as well. Disney's Jungle Cruise. And that was released in theaters on July 30th. And it was also released alongside um, theaters on Disney Plus Premier Access. So you could pay 30 bucks if you have a Disney Plus subscription. And you could watch this movie at home. So Jungle Cruise, it's a fantasy adventure film directed by Jean Colette Serra. Colette Sarah previously did, uh, he's got a weird history here, so just listen to this. Colette Sarah previously did uh, the remake of House of Wax in 2005, so a horror movie. He did 2009's Orphan, horror movie. 
He did 2016's The Shallows horror movie. So he's got a lot of horror in his pedigree, in his blood. And, and kind of on a tangent, the, the, out of those three movies, go watch 2009's Orphan if you haven't. It's a fantastic horror film that will sit with you for days. But you won't be disappointed with it. But if you actually also look at his history, this is kind of weird. He's directed four Liam Neeson-led films. Unknown, Nonstop, Run All Night, and The Commuter. Those are all Liam Neeson-led films that this guy has done. So, kind of weird. He's got horror. He's got Liam Neeson action films. He's doing this film, Jungle Cruise, which is a rock and, and Emily Blunt comedy adventure movie. A Disney film. And then, next year... He's directing the DC superhero film Black Adam that stars The Rock. So he's got his hands in a lot. Horror, action, adventure, uh, fantasy, superhero movies. He's got his hand in a lot of stuff. Um, But Jungle Cruise stars Dwayne, The Rock Johnson as Captain Frank Wolf, Emily Blunt as Dr. Lily uh, Houghton, and Jack White as McGregor. Edgar Ramirez as Aguirre. Jesse Plemons, who I think steals the show in a lot of scenes, as Prince Joaquin. And Paul Giamatti as Nilo Nemolato. And Veronica Falcon as Trader Sam. And you'll know Trader Sam if you know your Disney lore. Uh, the plot of the film is basically a captain of a small riverboat takes a group of travelers through the jungle in search of the Tree of Life. And I'm leaving this one vague because... There's a lot of twists and turns in this movie, and I think it would be much more enjoyable for you if you were to watch this movie without being completely spoiled on it. The film currently holds a fresh critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes at 63%, and this is kind of opposite. This has an audience score of 93%, so audiences are loving this. Critics are still think it's good, but not as, not as well as the audience. So first and foremost, I'm a Disney World nut. You know that. If you don't know me and don't know that, well, I am. Um, Jungle Cruise is one of my wife's favorite attractions at Disney World. And I love the attraction as well. It's it, it's a great attraction. It's corny. It's eye-rolling. We love to go on it. It's good, clean fun. It's good, clean attraction. But it's, it's a really cool, old-school Disney attraction. And that's what this movie is based on. And then second... I'll watch anything with The Rock in it. Anything with The Rock in it. And Emily Blunt has quickly become one of my favorites as well. I mean, if you look back at her history, The Devil Wears Prada, A Quiet Place, 1 and 2, Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, whatever that movie's called these days, because they've changed the name a couple of times, Sicario, Mary Poppins Returns as well. She did a really good job. And now this movie. So ultimately, I really don't want to spoil this. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, It did feel a bit long in a couple of points in the middle. But I love the setup and I love the ending. Uh, Some people may disagree at this because um, Metallica's Nothing Else Matters, their song, Nothing Else Matters, was adapted and arranged by James Howard who did the score. And he adapted it in the symphonic score soundtrack and used it in the movie. 
and it's instantly recognizable, and I think it's a beautiful version of it. Um, it's fantastic arrangement, and quite frankly, I could listen to it all damn day. But that actually makes a bit of sense about me, because if you know me, uh, Metallica's S&M album is my favorite Metallica album with the symphony, um, the first uh, symphonic Metallica album from 1999 or whatever. Um, that is my favorite Metallica album, so I love the symphonic scoring of this. I thought it was perfectly done, perfectly used in the movie, and it's, I could listen to it all day. And, and right there, let's just listen to it for a second. And Metallica, if you're listening to this, and I doubt you are, don't sue me. I got nothing for you. I just want to listen to this during the show. So don't sue me. So as for the movie, I really like the design of the Conquistadors. Uh, this was a fun adventure film. Lots of dad jokes, which matched the attraction at Disney. It reminded me of a throwback to the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie with a bit of Indiana Jones and then the Brendan Fraser mummies, uh, mummy movies thrown in. Um, also a little bit of like romancing the stone and some of those fun adventure movies. Uh, the movie itself is predictable, but again, it's fun. The movie actually wants me, <laughs> it makes me want to go back down to Disney World and ride the attraction. Not going until COVID is, is, is handled, but I cannot wait to get back down there and ride that attraction. So go watch this. You'll have a lot of fun. That's guaranteed. And I give a Jungle Cruise a Nobody Asked You Kevin rating of good. I can't give it the shit because it did seem a bit long in the middle, just a little bit. But the chemistry between The Rock and Emily Blunt was perfect. I would love to see more movies like this um, in the same vein. Jesse Plemons stole the show as Prince Joaquin. And it, it, was just, um, it was just a perfectly cast movie and perfectly executed with the exception of a couple of points in the movie where it felt a little long. So it gets a good rating from me. That doesn't mean I don't like it or I don't love it. It's just, I think it deserves a good rating. Go watch it though. You will not be disappointed. All right, it's time for new music. We're gonna rapid fire this stuff. Friends of the show Faust released a new single in April called Fashion. Badass, fun rock music. Let's give it a quick listen. Nothing too much because I want you to go out and buy it. I want this to pique your interest and then I want you to go out and buy Faust's music. So here's a clip of Fashion.
Offspring released their 10th studio album a couple of months ago. It's called Let the Bad Times Roll. And the album is the band's first studio album without their bass player, Greg Kreisel, or more commonly known as Greg K. Uh, the first single from the album was a song called Let the Bad Times Roll. Let's give this one a listen. If you like this song, go check out their album. German power metal band Halloween released a song called Skyfall from their newly released album, which was out in June, on June 18th of this year, so about a month and a half ago. Uh, if you don't know Halloween, they've been around since the 80s. They currently have a band lineup that consists of three guitar players and three lead vocalists, which is kind of odd, but it works. Uh, you want some good power metal? Well, then you need to go listen to Halloween throughout the years. So here's a clip of Skyfall. If this piques your interest, go check their music out. And while I'm talking about music, I kind of want to talk about the saxophone. No, not sex. Sax, as in saxophone. The most underutilized instrument in all of rock and metal music, I think. You don't hear it very often. And honestly, who doesn't love to hear the sweet, sweet sound of an alto or tenor sax? I mean, I, for one, love to hear those sounds. So I, I started thinking the other day, I was like, okay, what songs in rock and metal have a sax? There's not a lot of them. So let's put a list together. So what I want to do here is I want to introduce you to three of my favorite uses of the sax in rock or metal. And then we'll go from there. So here we go. First... Let's go with Ghost. Ghost Miasma. Ghost is a rock and metal band from Sweden. If you're not familiar with them, they've released four studio albums since 2010. On their latest album named Prequel, you'll find the song Miasma as the fifth track on the album. And you might ask yourself, hey, what exactly is Miasma? Well, it's a noun that means a highly unpleasant smell, a stench, a stink, an odor. Or 
It can also mean an oppressive or unpleasant atmosphere which surrounds or emanates for something. But this song is the opposite of unpleasantness or the opposite of stink. It's, this song, Miasma, is a beautiful progressive rock instrumental. And I will always remember the first time I heard it. I was listening to Prequel and this instrumental song pops on. I think to myself, hey, that's pretty cool. I like this song. And then that sax enters stage right and I fell in love. So here's a clip of that saxophone in Miasma by Ghost. Next up, we have In Excess, Michael Hutchins. Um, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you're pretty familiar with In Excess. In Excess is then an Australian rock band from the 80s and 90s. Uh, they had a song called Never Tear Us Apart, and it was from the group's 1988 album Kick. The music was written by the band's keyboard player, Andrew Ferris. The lyrics were written by Michael Hutchins. Uh, the saxophone solo in this is so short and sweet, but it's very, very tremendously moving. I mean, it's a moving solo. It's a moving piece. It was played by Kirk Pengilly, who played guitar and sax and was a backing vocalist for NXS. So, I mean, it is very short, but it's fantastic. I wish it was a lot longer in the song, but hey, sometimes things, good things come in small packages. Sometimes they're very nicely when it's just short and sweet. So here is a clip of that saxophone in NXS's Never Tear Us Apart. <laughs> Before we get to my third pick for my for favorite saxophones in rock and metal, could I mean could someone name me a band that is like the 2000s, 2010s, 2020s equivalent in excess? I bet you can't. I can't come up with something. If if you're listening to this and you know an equivalent band from the last 20 years or so to in excess. Let me know who that is. Send me an email. Send me a message. Whatever, however you want to tell me. But let me know who do you think that band actually is? Because In Excess was actually, I mean, it was something really special. And when Michael Hutchins died, the world lost a tremendous person and 
that group just I mean just sank. I mean the the world the music world lost a tremendous group when when that happened. But again, let me know. Anyways, my third pick tonight and this is going to be kind of weird, but it's from the tech technical death metal band Rivers of Nile. And to date, they have released two EPs and three studio albums. Their re- latest release was in 2018, so a few years ago. It was an album named Where Owls Know My Name. And this song called The Silent Life was on it. Uh, it's a six and a half minute death metal song, which when when you think about death metal, you're not going to typically think about saxophone. But this song, The Silent Life, does feature a sax. And again, you're probably thinking, sax and death metal? Yep. That's never going to happen. Yeah, it definitely does in here. A sax in death metal. And it works very, very well. It works so well. And the sax in this um, song was performed by Zach Strauss. The band actually, they branch out and they actually incorporate a cello into a few songs on this album as well. So if you like this sort of stuff, if you like technical death metal, if you like death metal with a little bit of a flair, uh, please check out... Uh, Where Owls Know My Name by Rivers of Nile and The Silent Life especially is the song for this one. So here's a clip of The Silent Life and that sax. So since I love the sax so much, we're going to make this a recurring segment, at least for the next episode or two. Uh, next episode of Nobody Asked You Kevin, I'll have three more songs where I think the sax is perfectly used in rock and metal music. So I'll have a few more songs for that. So keep your ear out for that. Keep keep listening. Uh, speaking of next episode, I think it's time to end this one. I don't want to go too long. Uh, one good thing here is that I have made my fucking return from the abyss. So plan on getting more regular episodes of Nobody Asked You, Kevin. I am back officially from hiatus. That's a fact. Prepare for more of this stuff. Prepare for more movie reviews, music talk, all sorts of stupid stuff. In the meantime, if you'd like to send me an email with any thoughts or on anything, music, movies, anything else, send them to nobodyaskedyoukevin at gmail.com. 
I'll read it on the show if you want me to. I'll talk about whatever you want. If you have ideas for things, or if you want me to listen to a song, or you have something else for me to watch or listen to, hey, give me give me the suggestion. Give me the ideas. I'll talk about anything. Also, find me on Facebook at the Nobody Asked You Kevin podcast page. Give it a like. On Twitter, find me at my official verified account is for, at Forensic Talks Guy, or the show. I did recently change the show's Twitter handle from Asked Kevin to N-A-Y-K Podcast. At N-A-Y-K Podcast. Nobody asked you, Kevin Podcast. N-A-Y-K Podcast. So that has changed. You can find it there. N-A-Y-K Podcast. And if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts for this show. So until next time, friends, have a great day. Get your shots. Let's get back to going to live music shows, movie theaters, amusement parks, restaurants, and all of those places we love to go. Much love to all of you. Later. Later.